it seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests, strange superstitions, and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Scuffy. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, a podcast where we talk about different creatives who have somehow changed the course of history and try to figure out whether or not they're the worst, because I think it's safe to say plenty of creatives have a bad reputation for being a little odd. Uh, I'm here with my amazing, incredible host, co-host, Jess Guffey. Hi, Jess. Hi, Kate Rooney. How's it going today? It's great. I took today off, uh, aside from recording this podcast. I'm living the dream. I walked the dog longer than normal. A luxury that we cannot all handle on days where we're working. I may or may not be in the same shirt that I slept in last night, but that's all besides the point because I know that you have uh, a person that you're covering today, and I'm so excited to hear who it is. I have no idea. I'm really excited to tell you this story because it's like relevant to our recent um, encounters when I've actually been with you in person. What? So, I know. Where does that send your brain? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I would say it's it's been forever because of this pandy situation we're in, but I did get to see you not too long ago. So Yeah, I know. It's like I hate being in your shoes right now because this could go so many different directions and then once it clicks you're gonna be like, What the hell? So if I say one sentence, I know you're gonna figure it out, but is, Maybe not. I, I don't know. Am I, correct, <laughs> am I correct to say that we're both fans of the show Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Oh. <gasps> <laughs> the wheels are turning. No way. Your facial okay. expressions right now are gold. Is, is it I safe think, to say that, though? Uh, yeah, very safe to say. Very. Okay. That's the safest thing you could say. Is it also safe to say that we watched the season two finale together <laughs> when I was in Huntington Beach, California with you? Because you forgot to watch it by yourself. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I watched all the way up until right before the season finale and then just forgot to watch the rest. We had a marvelous time watching <laughs> that together. It's cute. Is it also safe to say that the show pulls influence from real life people to show in the fictional show? Well, there's a few that I know are real. Hmm. My The wheels are turning, and I... Just tell me. Is it also safe to say that Midge Maisel in the show is friends <gasps> with the very popular, very real... dun dun da Lenny Bruce. Oh, my... Oh, Lenny <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> You are, I just got goosebumps. I get goosebumps every episode, I feel like. But <laughs> I feel like, but I'm, I, I'm also picturing the actor who plays Letty Bruce, and I just I loved him in the show. But I also he know won he won an Emmy, a, fun fact. Oh, he did. Good for yeah. him. Mm-hmm. For that role. Not Lenny Bruce in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I didn't think so. But 
Oh boy, I don't know a lo- I don't know m- anything really about his background, but I know a little bit about his uh, tragic fall. So, oh. yeah. So I really, first of all, I mean, we love the show. We've stated that, but I think for me, I realized that once I saw him on the show, his influence was much bigger than any of us realize today. Hmm. And it's not necessarily something that you grow up knowing, right? Like you see all these comedians that are famous in our time, but you don't necessarily put the dots together that they were inspired by Lenny Bruce. And once I started researching, I was like, I have to do this person. I mean, he's, we love comedy. You and I are such big comedy geeks. And I think once you hear his story, you'll be even more so like, how is this not a story that every single person knows if they're into any sort of comedy? And it's rare that we... I'm so excited. Yeah. It's rare that we talk about a person's influence at the top of the episode, but I think it's worth noting his significance just because his story isn't as well known. So if you don't know, Lenny Bruce has inspired just countless pop culture references, biographies, works of art, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, we mentioned Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is a very popular show by Amazon Prime. But just to name a few of my favorites that I stumbled upon in my research, he was also portrayed in a Bob Fosse film by Justin Hoffman. There was a Broadway play about him. Fosse's personal autobiopic featured Lenny Bruce as a character. There's a documentary about him narrated by Robert De Niro. He was featured on the cover of a Beatles album. He's referenced in lyrics in multiple songs, including It's the End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. There's a reference in The Nutty Professor by Eddie Murphy referring to him. There's also a beer by Schmaltz Brewing Company called Bittersweet Lenny's R.I.P.A. And the tagline is brewed with an obscene amount of hops. Like, (laughs) these are just my favorite ones that I've stumbled across, but I don't think I ever realized no ahead of time that like the reach is that significant the first thing that i thought of because you and i are both big fans of conan needs a friend conan o'brien is just our hero we love him so much but they talk a lot about different comedians and who they're inspired by and i'm sure almost every you know full-time comedian that's a weird thing to say they all probably know who lenny bruce is but i had never heard of him until marvelous mrs Maisel, same and he's a big part of that show i mean obviously like midge the main character she wouldn't like continue in her career and become this famous comedian if she hadn't met lenny bruce and obviously that's all fictionalized but i think it it kind of well i'll let you tell the story How about that <laughs> no but it's true like i i feel the same way i didn't know until i was watching with my mom she was like you know lenny bruce is based on a real person and i was like wait, what? And then I just kind of went down a rabbit hole. And then when we started this podcast, I was like, I have to cover him because this story needs to be out there more. But it's really interesting. You'll you'll find out why. But he really did change the landscape for political humor, satire, comedy. He paved the way for people like John Oliver, Trevor Noah, all of these people that we're like dying laughing at today um, with their satire. He really is the one that started all of that back in the 50s and 60s. So it's important to know. And then on top of that, I mean, you know, we've referenced Conan O'Brien, but there's so many comedians that actively have cited him as their inspiration. All people we know, Margaret Cho, Richard Pryor, Chris Rock, Robin Williams, Lucy Kay, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So way bigger influence than I personally ever knew or gave him credit for. Not intentionally, just 
didn't know. How'd you know? Yeah. How'd you know? So with that said, we jump into his story. So Lenny Bruce was born Leonard Alfred Schneider in 1925. His dad was a shoe clerk and his mom was a dancer, performer, MC, comic. She was just in the performing world. She had the bug. So we, we, we already have parents who are creatives to, to start with. Performance parents. Correct. Stage parents, if you will. <laughs> so his parents divorced when he was five and he was living with his mom, raised by various relatives, you know, and his mother. But there are a lot of people in and out of his life. And I think this is important to note because his mom was a very influential figure in his life throughout and especially with performing. I mean, she had the bug kind of caught on with him. You'll see why in a bit. So like any kid in the 1940s, Lenny dropped out of school at the age of 16 and ran away from home. Oh no, no idea why he just did it. And he started working on a chicken farm and he was driving (laughs) trucks, working on a chicken farm, doing that manual labor business. Really didn't like it. Wait, I'm sorry. where, Where was this? This is New York. New York, okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like many young men, in the very next year, in 1942, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy and served abroad in World War II. So he was in Southern Europe, Northern Africa. Um, you know, it's really sad. I hate when we have to talk about the war times in this podcast, but when he was on his vessel, he witnessed 40 airmen floating by his vessel, Oof. deceased. And traumatic stuff like that. I mean, it's... It's not easy to talk about, like I said, but important for their stories nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So like many young soldiers at the time, they had, while they were fighting a war, they did have a lot of free time. So he started performing for his shipmates to make the time go by faster. And I feel like you hear a lot of stories of that from those times, right? Like a lot of famous people that went through war and then became famous afterwards. You hear about them performing for their their colleagues. Lenny was no exception. He ended up getting a lot of laughs people were really enjoying his sets but he hated being in the navy he just absolutely despised it so lenny being the little schemer that he was created an elaborate ruse to get discharged no way he's like what can i do to get the hell out of the navy don't want to be here anymore what can i do what's the biggest offense without being killed so he started performing in drag to his shipmates (laughs) and not surprisingly, was caught by his commanding officer, who, again, not surprisingly for the 40s, was not thrilled <laughs> to see Lenny performing in drag. I mean, I uh, probably still wouldn't go over well today in the military, <laughs> but like any other location that's like, what's the big fuss? He's right. Oh, OK. Right. Wow. But it was schemed. So, it was schemed. Yeah. He came up with this on his own as a way to get discharged. So then, of course, back in those days, they brought him to the medical staff and they were like, something is wrong with you. And he convinced the medical staff that he was having, quote, homosexual urges. (laughs) Okay. They're like, here's your ticket out of the military. (laughs) Get you out of here. Oh, that's actually what happened. So he was dishonorably discharged. (laughs) (laughs) It worked. (laughs) <laughs> and it was later appealed to be under honorable conditions because, mm. you know, we're, we're much more accepting nowadays. Mm-hmm. But this whole story became so famous that it inspired a character on MASH, the character Klinger. 
Never seen an episode of that in my life. I've seen a few. It used to be on after a sitcom in the 90s, and I don't remember which one. But regardless, like, it became so well-known at the time that this is what he did that it actually inspired a a TV character. So he had another pop culture reference under Lenny Bruce's belt. But that story made me laugh. I think it just kind of shows his little sneaky personality and how he's always (laughs) scheming and, you know. And not not caring because you think, like, the machismo of the time, especially in the military, that's, like, everyone's biggest fear is being seen as you know, feminine or anything. And he's like, I don't care. I went out of here. Like, Doesn't out of anything care. you can... <laughs> I almost would say, because I'm an expert on the topic, but... Naturally. No, I'm not. But I would almost argue <laughs> that, like, most people would be like, I'd rather kill someone than tell people that I'm gay or, or dress in drag at... 100%. And you, <laughs> 100%. He's ahead of his time, yeah. for sure. Wow. So in way more ways than one. So in 1945, he's officially discharged dishonorably, and he returns to the U.S., lives with his mom, and then, if you recall, his mom was heavily involved in showbiz. So Lenny kind of goes down that path, and fun fact that I want to insert here, Amy Sherman Palladino, who's a creator of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, used to hang out with Lenny's mom in the 60s because her dad was a stand-up. So they cross paths, which makes total sense of why he's in the show. Like, obviously, he's influential. But I just thought that was really, really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Who would know that? Yeah. Like, where'd you even find that information? That's crazy. (laughs) Hashtag fun facts. Deep, dark interwebs Mm. told me that information. So Lenny's hanging around his mom. He served as the master of ceremonies at the nightclub where she worked. And through this, like he was experimenting with ad-libbing because he could really do whatever he wanted. And then he kind of got the bug. So he started participating in amateur nights in New York, New Jersey nightclubs, and started as any stand-up comedian does. He started with impressions. He started with parodies, one-liners, you know, like not the simple sense of humor, but more attainable. It doesn't take as much prep or joke writing. Well, and that was more the the style of the time. Exactly. All of, all of those things. Yeah. Exactly. And it's important to note that as he became more comfortable, he started experimenting more and more with black humor. So Lenny's style really became, and you'll see this throughout, but he was criticizing social and legal establishments, organized religion, moralistic attitudes towards sex and drugs. You know, other comedians at the time were talking about like how terrible airplane food is and how their wives <laughs> nag at them and all these just surface level things. <laughs> I was going to say, it's all about like, my wife doesn't make my sandwich. Exactly. Or she puts too much mayo on my sandwich. How dare she? God. insert canned laughter exactly wow so he went the completely different direction and was talking about like teacher salaries and how it's a travesty that they make less than showbiz celebs and then cruel abortion laws racial injustice weird that we're still talking about some of this stuff today i'm just gonna say also talking about the double standard between illegal and prescription drugs and like these were things that again this is the 40s 50s like no one's touching these topics. They're so taboo. It's so like, we have to put on the perfect front of being housewives and perfect husbands that go to work every day. Like, this is not the type of comedy that people were looking for. But he did it. Now, uh, 
I know you're going to get into this, but the first one of the things that popped into my mind is how lonely that is because everyone's talking about the the very safe things and like where is he coming up with this? Right. Like obviously it's things that people are thinking about, but no one's discussing, and he's he's going to be brave and talk about it. But man, that's lonely. Uh, yes, it is very lonely, and I think we'll see themes of that throughout. But, I mean, we can say the same for a lot of the creatives that we cover. They're so on a different level, and for him, he's so ahead of his time. And it's like, how do you even get there? And how? How, how do you do that with what you're given at that decade or that time period and what's being mm-hmm. shoved in your face with the media, you know? Mm-hmm. So... His creative process was interesting to get to this point, too. He would rework a bit hundreds of times before he felt like it was good to go. But it was never done the same way twice. So, like, he'd do a bit one night, and then he'd rewrite it for the next night. So it was the same general idea, and he was getting the same point across. But it was a completely different delivery. And I think that's really cool because, I mean, we know that musicians are like that. Like, it has to be perfection before they put it out into the world. But... Think about that from a, a comedian standpoint, having to do that every single night if you're performing oh, multiple nights in a row. Well, I think there's a whole thing about performing on a stage and yeah, you can just regurgitate the same things you've you've said over and over again, whether that's music, comedy, I don't know, business, keynote speakers. But there's, I don't know if this is why he did it, but I think there's something so key to like, reading reading the room yeah (laughs) i mean playing off the audience and those are the best shows you go to it's not just the canned response the the same thing over and over again it's like i'm gonna react to how the audience is reacting it's never gonna be the same no audience is is the same i also i mean we're getting on a tangent here but i don't care because (laughs) i think it's really important i think he was so far ahead of his time and i think a lot of the people that we cover on this show that was kind of like their downfall to some degree because they were so far ahead of their time. But I also think to a certain extent, the people are ready for that. Like they become these famous people for a reason Mm -hmm. and they're thinking of things that other people have yet to even, it's not even a blip on their radar, you know, and they're putting it out there bravely and courageously and all these things and like confidently and sticking to their conviction. And people are like, wait, (sighs) You're right. Racial injustice is a real thing. Oh, wait a minute. Like, we should be talking about that. So oh. it's fascinating. So Lenny once said in regards to his um, style and, you know, the, the type of material he was covering, he said, it is impossible to label me. I develop on the average four minutes of new material a night, constantly growing and changing my point of view. I'm heinously guilty of the paradoxes I assail in our society. Wow. Painfully. Very insightful. Painfully. I also love the word heinous. I think oh, that's so perfect yeah. in this quote. <laughs> it's so good. It's, yeah. Galani. It's perfect. Anyways, shortly after he starts performing, he changes his name or his last name to Bruce and performed his first paid stand-up routine in Brooklyn in 1947 for $12 and a free spaghetti dinner. Oh, well, I would do anything for a free spaghetti dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Does it come with uh with breadsticks? Because unclear, but I would I would do less money if I got more breadsticks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so 1948 can be the year that we consider his big break, essentially. It was pivotal for his career growth because he performed on the TV show Arthur Godfrey's 
talent scouts. Big deal at the time. I've never heard of it, but again, very different era. I'm sure it was big. (laughs) There weren't as many channels. So this is kind of when he started becoming Lenny Bruce. Like he was starting to become a legit person in the comedy world. So we flash forward a little bit to 1951. Uh, Lenny had many romantic encounters, but he finally married someone and her name was Harriet Harlow. She was, do you want to guess what she was? Wait, I, I still just can't get over how I love that name. Harriet Harlow? I'm going to guess uh, she was a sex worker? Yeah, she was a stripper. Ah, Very good guess. Okay. So she went by her stage name Honey, but she would also perform under the name Hot Honey. <laughs> Honey Harlow? Wait. Harriet Harlow was her real name. She went by Honey. Harriet Harlow Honey. Okay. Okay. So she was known as Honey, and is that what the the hit movie with Mariah Carey, Honey, was uh, created after? No, perhaps I actually don't know. She wrote a book, so potentially. Oh, okay. Unclear though. But just a quick sidebar about Honey. I mean, she could probably be her own episode as well because she survived six abortions in her life. She was jailed at the age of 17. She worked the carnival circuit for a bit. She had a brief stint where she was designing her own clothes and was like a fashion designer. She managed a business. She then ended up performing on stage as a singer at some point. Yes. All over the place. But whoa. I love Honey. She's good. Yeah, she's getting after it. Oh, she was an independent woman. Go, honey. Exactly. Go, honey. So once they get married, they moved to California, and Lenny started, you know, became a family business. He started performing at strip clubs and burlesque houses in L.A., as one does in L.A. And this is when he really started being able to support himself and his family with comedy. So, like, he was making some some coin at this point, as the kids call it. <laughs> I mean, is that what the kids are calling it now? Probably not. They probably have a way cooler term. But Honey would sing on the stage with him. It became, like, this cute little act where they would perform together and whatnot. And other activities they did together. Um, heroin mm. was one of the other activities. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something so much more wholesome than that. Nope. Oh, no. Yeah. So they started doing heroin together and just like not great. Not a great habit to do. Bummer. They also decided one day that they were going to come up with a a quick little scheme, you know, not surprising with what we know about Lenny. So they decided to steal some priest uniforms from a church. (laughs) Wait, what? It gets worse. (laughs) I can't get a... What? It gets worse. Okay, sorry, continue. Yep. Nope. It gets worse. So, in 1951, you know, the same year that they get married, um, they get arrested for panhandling, okay? Let's just let that sink in. And the backstory is they woke up one day and they were like... Let's just, like, steal some priest uniforms from the church by our house. Let's just go for it. Why not? And, yeah, like, fine. Great Wait, activity was, to do. Was there, like, a, a reason why they... I'm getting to that. Don't <laughs> okay, worry. sorry. I'm so anxious about it. <laughs> so they started funding a charity in their priest uniforms. 
a charity, in quotation marks, for a leper colony in British Guiana. Okay? Very obscure place. <laughs> Doesn't even, it's not even called that anymore. I, yeah. Papua New Guinea? Uh, no, nope. that's not the same place. Nope, not the same place, but close. And, you know, this went on. They received a legal state charter for this, quote, foundation that they were running. They were doing such good work for the leper colony. How was there still a leper colony in 1951? No clue. Uh, unclear. I thought, that, I thought that was like <laughs> biblical times here. Me but... too. But... It was later discovered that they raised $8,000 in three days, which, lots of money for that time, in three days, Well, that's especially. a lot of money now, Jill, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'd love yeah. to make $8,000 in three days. Agreed. Um, but only a third of that actually went to British Guiana. Do you, do you have any clue as to where the other two-thirds of the money went? Well, first of all, I'm actually a bit surprised that any of the money <laughs> went to the leper colony. <laughs> Considering but, the priest uh, uniforms were stolen. I, yeah, yeah I, I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and guess that maybe the rest of it went to drugs. It went to Lenny's pockets. He claimed that he like needed it for production costs and whatnot. Uh, d- by production costs, does he mean drugs? <laughs> We're gonna safety allegedly drugs. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who who's to say? Who's to say? If you know, let us know. Anyways, they weren't convicted after they were arrested, but just kind of—I don't love that story, but it kind of gives you an idea of like where they were at as a couple. That's a, you know? that's a big scheme. That's not like a simple. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's that's there's a lot more involved than just scamming people out of money. <laughs> I mean, they got a state charter to be a a regulated foundation. If you're going to put that much work into it, why don't you just actually, like, create a foundation or get a different job? I don't know. Hot takes from Kate Rooney. Agreed. Hashtag hot takes. So, (laughs) four years later, they have a daughter named Kitty, and... A few years after that, when Kitty's two, they're on vacation in Hawaii, as one does. You do that. but <laughs> Not in a long time. Not in a long time. But while they're there, Honey gets arrested for possession of marijuana. She is sentenced to three years of parole. And when all this is happening, you know, they're dealing with the authorities and whatnot. Lenny flees, unannounced, doesn't tell anyone. Goes back to L.A. with Kitty and tries to get full custody of their daughter, Kitty. Just left his wife. Left, honey. He's like, bye. (sighs) Honey, being very upset by this whole thing, broke her parole to follow them and had to serve two years in prison for breaking her parole. Again, what is Uh, happening? We don't know. Honey later came out and said she wrote a book eventually, which I actually want to read because... (laughs) sounds wild Mm -hmm. um she later said that she believed lenny had planted the joints in her bag and alerted the authorities of her departure time from the hotel so that she would get caught and the legal records i actually read them they show that the authorities were alerted that she'd be leaving the hotel with marijuana (laughs) at the time that she was leaving 
conspiracy theory maybe but well if lenny hadn't previously gotten discharged from the military through schemes and then also created a whole foundation that wasn't real i would be like no that's ridiculous but uh i wouldn't put it past him right now agreed she later said if lenny set me up he did it out of fear and out of love (laughs) honey no and i mean honey your name but also honey no we can do better than that do better be better not surprisingly they divorced a little bit after this (laughs) probably the best thing that that could have happened yeah 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 so Lenny at this time still doing comedy. He has his daughter and he in 1957 appears with Buddy Hackett on the Patrice Munsell show. And one thing that I love about this is they called their comedy duo the Capital Not Ready for Primetime Players. Now, does this sound familiar to you at all? Nope. <laughs> well, 20 years after they coined this term for their comedy duo, the cast of SNL used the very same name. Uh, I was going to just guess blindly SNL, but I didn't yeah. actually get the reference. So, But it's cool. I mean, it's like, again, totally influenced the show that we watch regularly and we had no idea. But hmm. Fun facts. So a couple years after that, 1959, Lenny had a huge appearance on the Steve Allen show, which was nationally televised. It was a very big deal at the time. Again, they only had a few channels. So like these things were... <laughs> <laughs> really, really, really a big deal. If they were meanwhile, and I'm on like my tenth streaming service for whatever reason. So yeah, Peacock. World, I don't even know time. exactly. Um, so when they introduced him, he was introduced as quote the most shocking comedian of our time, and this <laughs> part cracks me up. They actually aired not just a quick you know splash on the screen disclaimer. They aired a four-minute disclaimer telling viewers to turn off their TVs if they did not want to be shocked. <laughs> Man, they would have lost their minds if they watched the Super Bowl halftime show with Andrew Jackson. <laughs> no one was prepared for that. Four minutes. Four minutes. That's excessive. That's too much time. I mean, I'm I'm imagining that it's just like text on the screen saying that with like some old timey music, like turn off your TV, or like I'm picturing the black and white professor with like the stick thing to point to a board, and it's like he could be shocking in this way. Name the facts. He could be shocking in this way. It's just Bill <laughs> like, Nye on there telling everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Nye, the science guy. This is a super shocking. (laughs) Turn off your TVs. (laughs) Also, what made me laugh about this is like, you know, TV ratings were just as big of a deal back then as they are now. Arguably bigger deal back then, because again, there were not Netflix and Hulu and all these other competitors. So, like, they're actively telling people to tune out of the show. Yeah. 
yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. You should. You're losing viewers. Oh, you're, oh. Game. But also, Game. there there is. I'm sure there's some sort of psychological phenomenon. But that's like, if you're told not to watch something, it makes you want to tune in more. It's like that excitement. So maybe it made people want to tune in more. I don't know. That could very well be the case. But moral of the story is this time was when he was kind of really starting to be branded as like shocking and Time Magazine called him a sick comic (laughs) and like all of these verbs and adjectives and like phrases were being used to describe Lenny. He was never just Lenny Bruce anymore. It was always the sick comic and the most shocking and all these superlatives. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And from this point on, he was essentially blacklisted from TV. If he did make a TV appearance, which he made very few in his career, it was always scripted ahead of time and had to be approved by the network before airing. Which, like, with people like Lenny, I mean, that just kind of stifles his creativity, you know? Yeah, I can't imagine he was very happy about that. (laughs) Or, like, he he just wouldn't do it because... Exactly. That goes against everything he believes in, so... Exactly. Uh, I do want to tell a quick story about journalist Paul Krasner. Now, Paul has written multiple stories about Lenny since his passing, but this one (laughs) was from 1959 when they first met, and I just thought it was such a cool story. So they met in Lenny's Times Square Hotel. He was in New York staying there, and Lenny had subscribed to Paul's magazine, which was a satirical magazine called The Realist, and Lenny was like hyper-focused on why Paul was able to get away with the profanity in the satirical magazine, but he couldn't get away with stuff in his comedy shows because he had started using euphemisms to make it more acceptable and whatnot to the audience. So it wasn't outright shocking. Lenny had or Lenny uh, had. Yeah. So he could not wrap his brain around why Paul was able to get away with this so blatantly in his magazine in print for people to read. And it was, you know, highly distributed whatnot. So, Paul's response was, (laughs) I cannot say this word, but I'm going to try anyways. Paul said, the Supreme Court's definition of obscenity is that it has to be material which appeals to your prurient interest. What? Can you define that for the audience? Now, great question. Lenny produced a dictionary seemingly out of nowhere, like (laughs) just, just produced it. He's like, hmm, let me, Merriam-Webster, my good old pal. And looked up the word prurient and said, looked at Paul and goes, so it's against the law to get you horny. (laughs) And he's like, yep, that's it. (laughs) Now, to define that word prurient, it's having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters. Whoa. So like salacious. Salacious. Yeah. Okay. Lustful words like that. I had never heard that word before. I feel like you and I are pretty well versed in vocabulary words. It's one of those words that I've like heard before, but I would never use. Like I, I don't actually. Well, clearly I didn't know what it was. So. <laughs> Let me try to explain away my uh, ignorance. Hold on one sec. I just like didn't know. So yeah, so Lenny goes, so it's against the law to get you horny, and I think that's hilarious. Like, he's putting two and two together. He's like, so my jokes are bad and obscene because of this, but he can do that because he's not getting people horny? Like, that's their definition of it? Okay. So, 
they it's just kind of like a funny interaction as you can tell i mean what are they really even talking about <laughs> other than weird words and dictionaries and whatever so as paul's getting ready to leave the room lenny goes did you steal anything <laughs> what? <laughs> what? and paul pulls his own watch out of his pocket puts it on the dresser and lenny looks over and he looks at him and he goes ha and then kisses him on the forehead. <laughs> and that's their interaction. <laughs> I'm extremely puzzled right now. Ha! Kate's eyebrows are so close together. <laughs> Paul literally recounted the story and wrote, ha. <laughs> like, that's what Lenny said and exclaimed. But I just thought that was so funny. Lenny's going, are you stealing anything? Did you steal anything? Lenny, you did a scheme on... <laughs> Wait a minute. You stole priest outfits. And you're okay. Precisely, you're concerned that this, yeah, like a, a pur- purient, can't even say it. This person <laughs> is gonna steal your watch. So, another kind of development in Lenny's content. He around this time, those close to him said he would start to go over his performances in depth again, but this time he was trying to shape them into more like theatrical context. So wasn't just about the bits anymore it was like how can i be theatrical Mm, he's growing as a creative shocking exactly and he was experimenting from show to show which i think he always did but it was becoming more and more pronounced people were like oh wow we're we're really doing (laughs) this happening okay okay so even when the audience would laugh like this was at the peak of his career the audience would laugh and it would turn into clapping because they'd be so excited and they were like wow like his creative process is just amazing and he would ask the audiences repeatedly not to applaud because it broke his rhythm. Like, he he could not handle when they would clap for him, even though it's meant in the best way. Whoa. Yeah. Which, That's, like, uh, to a certain he, extent, He's I there get. for the art. He's not, he's, not, he's not there for the praise. He's there for the art. Yeah. And to tell, to inform people. <sighs> this is just a whole tangent, but... Go for it. And it's it's probably because my lens of Brenny, uh, Lenny Bruce is is from uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, yeah. but I, I see him as more as like, yeah, kind of down on his luck, but good intentions, whatever. He's just ahead of his time. But then after hearing all these like schemes that he's done, <laughs> yeah, it, it it does kind of like change your filter a little bit, and to hear that he was clearly very tortured he didn't want to hear applause or anything but nope i'm like come on come on dude yeah like you're not uh, you've done a lot of bad things so right yeah i don't know so around this time as well playboy wanted to publish and serialize a book by lenny an autobiography and the name was how to talk dirty and influence people which is obviously a rip (laughs) on a very famous book and Hugh Hefner, of all people, hired Paul, our good old friend Paul, who Lenny kissed on the forehead, as the editor of the book because he knew they were friends and he was like, this guy will do a great job. So Paul mm. and Lenny met in Atlantic City to discuss the book. And I guess at this time, Paul describes it in his accounts of this story that Lenny was acting very paranoid about everything, like extremely paranoid. And Hmm. it was so insane that he made Paul take a lie detector test, but, like, unclear on what he was testing him for. 
Yeah, for what? <laughs> yeah, and because Paul was so confused, he was like, I, okay, like, I, I'm not going to lie about anything. Sure, I'll take the test. And then they ended up fighting because he wasn't doing it the way Lenny wanted him to. So Paul left and was like, mm, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm over this. And then Lenny sent him a telegram saying, in all caps, which is way funnier to <laughs> read. Yeah, way funnier to read in all caps, but I will say it as it's written. Why can't it be the way it used to be? Oh, no, <laughs> Paul. Why can't, why can't it be the way it used to be? Which, a tele... Oh, yeah. ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> a telegram for you. Ahoy, ahoy. Oh, my God. Which, like, that makes me think of, like, a married couple that's going through a breakup. Why I, can't it be okay. the way it used to be? I, we say this in almost every episode, but I swear there are so many parallels to, to other creatives we've covered with the the increasing paranoia. Yes. Once you kind of hit success and you're mm-hmm. a wildly creative person, you start getting really paranoid about everyone. I mean, I, it, it seems like we saw uh, bits of that with the whole watch kiss on the forehead incident (laughs) now we're moving into telegrams yeah i mean what and lie detector tests yeah 40 cents to send a telegram that's way too much money yeah yeah (laughs) why can't it go back to the what was it again can you say it again why can't it be the way it used to be oh i know same same and with that we're gonna take a break Hey, Kate. Yes? Remember that time that we convinced our bosses to let us start a podcast? Yeah. And you know what? We made it happen, but we had some help along the way. Uh, It's not as easy to start a podcast as I thought it was. There's a lot you have to do. You have to get the branding, get all of your your thumbnails and everything done. But we have some help from Design Pickle. Yeah, we sure do. And with things like the source files and unlimited revisions, unlimited requests, our smart designer match, it's been honestly a super easy process, way easier than if we were trying to do it ourselves. Oh, yeah. And we can even automate the process with the Zapier integration. So there's a reason why Design Pickle is ranked on the Inc. 5000 two years in a row. Uh, And I, I believe we have a special deal. Sorry, a special dill for all of our listeners right now we sure do if you are listening to this podcast and you need flat rate unlimited graphic design or custom illustrations you can get a hundred dollars off your first month of any of our awesome plans by using the code worst at checkout that's w-o-r-s-t all caps Woo! that is amazing head over to designpickle.com and use worst at checkout and you can get a hundred dollars off one hundred dollars off any plan it's amazing. Any of them. It's pretty big deal. Get out of here. <laughs> we're back. So we're in the 60s now. It's the 60s, man. Lenny performs at Carnegie Hall. Huge audience. Wow. Yeah. And throughout this performance or after the performance, people theorized that the more famous he became, the more he was prosecuted for saying really risque things, which like... That makes sense. You're more in the public eye. You have a bigger target on your back, right? Like, that's no different with today's celebrities. So mm-hmm. he keeps performing. And it, this is when this is when Lenny starts having a lot of uh, run-ins with the law. So, Oh, because he didn't before with his... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... 
yeah. It's just okay. more pronounced now. Well, we, we, we see a lot of, a lot of that, or, or how comfortable he is with getting arrested and dealing with all of that in Marvelous Correct. Mrs. Maisel. Like, he's just like, I've done this song and dance before. Second nature. Ooh, okay. Let's- so, a few months later, he's charged with violating California's obscenity law at the San Francisco Jazz Workshop because he said the word sucker. <laughs> <gasps> And that's why the official reason why he was charged. It, 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 wait, he's 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 banned or like he gets in trouble while he's in San Francisco yeah. performing. Yeah, that says a lot. He's charged with <laughs> violating obscenity, not just arrested. He's charged. So his defense <laughs> wow. argued that his comedy was not only inoffensive within the liberal jazz community in which he was performing, but it was also socially important. Like, true. I agree with them. Like, he's just being a little profane but he's getting his point across and the jury ended up mm. siding with lenny because it's san francisco it's fine but by this time he had a cult-like following of fans and with again the fame he had more police at his shows which we started to see in mrs Maisel as well very accurate in there mm-hmm. and undercover detectives would literally hang out in the crowds of his shows and just wait for the moment that they could jump on stage and arrest him i cannot believe that i mean I, we saw it in the show but the fact that <laughs> police officers would would just go to comedy shows mm-hmm. or to other events like that and just sit there and wait yeah, how wild i know so things kind of continue to spiral. In 1962, he's banned from ever re-entering the country of England for the sake of public interest <laughs> after he performed <laughs> a controversial set at a club. And at this time, like he had been blacklisted by more and more nightclubs. Like he was just getting blacklisted left and right because clubs were like for speech yeah. for language uh-huh. for saying things out loud yeah oh my god because unfortunately for the nightclubs they would like get their liquor licenses stripped the employees would get in trouble like it wasn't just lenny getting in trouble it was multiple people just for trying to put on a good time for other people and lenny said around this time if i get busted in new york the freest city in the world that will be the end of my career like he was very cognizant of the fact that things were kind of going south he was also struggling financially at this time. And there's a specific incident in Chicago. He performed at the gate of horn where his paranoia resurfaces and is very pronounced. And he asked the entire audience at gate of horn to take a lie detector test. What? What are you even saying? What? Again, no clue. Are you lying about being entertained or? Yeah. Like, are are we good? Are are you okay? Clearly not. So not surprisingly, he was arrested for obscenity at this set and the club's liquor license was suspended. Like it was a whole to do. But comedian George Carlin, who many credit as the father of comedy, who actually a lot of people don't know, but he was influenced way more than anyone else by Lenny Bruce. And I mean, I believe it. He was all about the obscenities, and that's uh, that seems to be Lenny's forte. <laughs> exactly. So George was at the show, and he recalls the moment he was sitting in the crowd, and apparently a cop like got on stage, arrested Lenny, and yelled, shows over, and kicked everyone out. They were checking IDs on the way out. And George was 25, but he refused to show his ID. 
for whatever reason, just being a punk. So he gets arrested as well at the same show that Lenny gets arrested at. When he got outside to the paddy wagon to be arrested, legitimate paddy wagon, he runs into Lenny and Lenny is like, why did you get arrested? What's going on? And George tells him, well, I didn't show my ID. And Lenny said, don't be a schmuck. (laughs) I, my jaw is on the floor. The fact that George Carlin and Lenny Bruce were like having a a little chit chat outside of a paddy wagon. Yeah. Wow. And George has said many things about Lenny. Like, obviously, he's his main influence. But one of the quotes I really liked was he said, Lenny Bruce opened the doors for all the guys like me. He prefigured the free speech movement and helped push the culture forward into the light of open and honest expression. Very profound. Very true. Man, that is so cool. To think back to when you were 25 and you don't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> And you, but like you know, you have something, or like you're you're drawn to someone who has success already, and like he got arrested for it. Like he knew, like this was I want to follow this guy. I want to go down this path, regardless of whether or not I'm going to get arrested. That's that's fascinating. Agreed. And then he, like George Carlin's, like the he's the one that everyone now is like referencing and mm-hmm. saying i i learned from george carlin but really he was a fanboy too at one point he learned from lenny that's where it all wow. began wow so cool i also so think cool. we talk about this I a mean, lot not to interrupt you but we talk about this a lot and i think it's really fascinating to me the more stories we do how many famous people's stories intersect with each other like i oh, i yeah. want to make like a map of it because it's so cool because you definitely have time for that. Yeah. But it is. Like, the, everything is really connected. Well, just so many people are inspired by others who are changing the, the status quo or going against the status quo. And it's, we don't want to, like, repeat ourselves over and over again. But there's definitely a common theme or thread between all these different creative people. Totally. And I feel like they can just relate to one another. So Agreed. And you know what just popped into my mind? The five degrees of Kevin Bacon. Maybe this still applies. Maybe we can find a way to make this apply with George and Lenny and sure all the other could. comedians. But regardless. Five degrees of creatives are the worst. Hash, hashtag. <laughs> make that a hashtag. <laughs> so because Lenny was going through all this stuff at this time, and by stuff I mean getting arrested on the reg, And his performances started to revolve around the inequities of the legal system. Not surprising. Like, we could have seen that coming. And as you recall, he used to carry a dictionary and would whip it out whenever he (laughs) needed to. Well, he traded the dictionary for law books and legal briefs that he carried around with him in his suitcase from venue to venue. Oh, suitcase. Oh, if only he had a smartphone. (laughs) So much easier for you, Lenny. But by this time, he had been arrested 15 times in less than the past two years. And it just, you know, things weren't going great. It's like once the snowball started, it's kind of kind of hard to stop it. That sucks, though, because uh, I assume that, like, almost all the majority of those times he was arrested was just for speech. Like, there's no freedom of speech. He yeah. can just get arrested for stuff he says on stage. We'll get to that. Huh. I have some stats that'll be interesting. So Ooh. in 1963, he's ordered by a California court to go to rehab. He doesn't. We go to the next year and a pivotal moment happens where he's charged with after a performance at Cafe Agogo, 
where he allegedly said over a hundred obscene words. And this is when people claimed he was using shock humor instead of his like actual witty satire um, because he was trying to draw an audience at this time. Clearly he was already at his peak. He was kind of on his way down and he was just trying to do whatever he could to get a reaction. But after he was arrested the very next night, he was released very next night, he returns to Cafe El Gogo and performs again <laughs> as like a, fuck you, I'm, I'm back, I'm going to do this. Wow. Yeah. But a lot of people in the creative industry, by this time, they knew who he was, you know, he had already been super famous, and people like Woody Allen and Bob Dylan signed a petition to free him from these charges, and he was ultimately found guilty of obscenity and sent to sentenced to four months in prison but this was not without a fight there were over 80 celebrities and academics that wrote positive testimonies to try to free him from these charges do you remember what year this is yes this is 1964 okay so we're we're in the mid 60s at this point we're not quite in the in the 70s yet but it seems like people are kind of starting to wake up to I don't know, censorship and stuff like that. Like it's, we're kind of like yeah. growing up as a nation and see that maybe we should stand up for this person who is changing history. Yeah. I don't know. That's- well, and it's important to note too, I said over 80 celebrities and academics, there was a point in his career at the peak where people in the academic world, which are notoriously hard to crack, you know, they have their opinions, they're highly educated, they do research all the time. But people in the academic world actually were very fond of Lenny because his opinions were so profound and so just like off the wall, but in a good way for social justice and things like that, that he really had a lot of support from the academic world, which you wouldn't necessarily put hand in hand with a comedian. But here we are. Wow. Yeah. So as Lenny started to fall from his prime, which is very evident, based on all these encounters with the police and arrests and whatnot, um, his drug use started to increase significantly, specifically with heroin. His money was still declining. In 1964, he made about $6,000 for the entire year versus four years prior, he made over 100000 which at that time was significant. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. So just, just slipping a lot. According to his friend at this time, his sets also, they deteriorated even further. So, like, we're beyond even just talking about his legal proceedings. His friend said his sets deteriorated into, quote, unbearable routines filled with self-conscious poetry about Adolf Eichmann and the injustices of the American judicial system. Unbearable routines from your friend. That's rough. (laughs) That's a bummer. Uh... Don't do heroin, everyone. Yeah. Uh-huh. Another article stated, this downfall via curse words is ironic, really. Lenny ranted insightfully on war, government, law, injustice, sex, race, cruelties, and injuries, but the law stuck on his pension for bad words. Which we'll get to. We'll have a chance to talk about this, but that is true. Like, what is he really being arrested for, other than having an opinion on the issues? I, I, okay, so I know that George Carlin has that famous bit about all the curse words you can't say. I'm dying to know what obscenities he was saying that would get him arrested beyond, like, the social issues <laughs> words. Yeah. We obviously can't say them on the show. No. But, 
Yeah, it's a, it seems like a little bit of both. Like, that's kind of the scapegoat is like, well, he's saying a bunch yeah. of curse words, but really he's saying things about society that are still issues today. So he, <laughs> exactly. he's definitely ahead of his time, but yeah. that cannot get into the minds of many other people. No. We can't have that happen. Perfect segue, because I just wanted to share some stats about his prosecution for obscenity over the years, because it's ridiculous. Ooh. So Give it to me. He was involved in at least eight arrests for just obscenity alone, no other charges. He had six trials in four cities. It took four years combined and over 3,500 pages of trial transcripts. It required eight state trial judges. These proceedings... Great use of our uh, <laughs> tax dollars. Uh-huh. These proceedings engaged more than a dozen state attorneys and doubled the number of defense attorneys. It was comprised of appeals and petitions to state high courts, federal appellate courts, and the Supreme Court of the United States, in which 22 judges oversaw these cases. And for what? Like, these were to enforce laws that were constitutionally suspect in relation to free speech and to invoke criminal laws in factual situations where it was not entirely clear that prosecution was required. All of that for a muddy gray situation. He he was onto something though. You mentioned before that he talked about uh, the judicial system and and you know the law enforcement and that clearly like he was ahead of his time talking about that. He had some personal experience, for sure, but he knew that him talking about stuff isn't a good reason to to get multiple judges involved and spend so much time and money on that. That is wild. Uh So I I just thought that was fascinating, like the amount of resources and effort that actually went into all of this. I mean, it's ridiculous when you put it in perspective nowadays, but... He really, from a like higher level, if you just look at this from space, you would be like, yeah, uh, he knew that was wrong. And they kind of proved his point, in a sense, to spend so many resources on this. To, exactly. For what? And he's still, like, he's influenced so many people. So his legacy is carried on, but all of the, the laws against him did not. Right. So. Wild. So in 1965, his biography finally, his autobiography rather, finally comes out, How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. Such a clever title. I love it. In the foreword, I I want to read a quote from his foreword. So it says, someone else is describing him. He's a true iconoclast. Others, Josh, Snipe, and Rib, only Bruce demolishes. He breaks through the barrier of laughter to the horizon beyond where the truth has its sanctuary. People say he's shocking, and they're quite correct. Part of his purpose is to force us to redefine what we mean by being shocked. The point about Lenny is that he wants us to be shocked, but by the right things, not by four-letter words, which violate only convention, but by want and deprivation, which violate human dignity. So deep. Uh, (laughs) Hold on, I wasn't ready. I I, I don't know if I've said it enough, but... Uh, today was my day off of work, <laughs> and my brain was not prepared for that amount of depth that you just sprung upon me. I've read this quote probably 20 times just in doing research, and it's just every time I'm like finding new nuggets because it's so spot on to describe what Lenny did. 
In the book itself, Lenny also says, quote, I'm not a comedian and I'm not sick. The world is sick and I'm the doctor. I'm a surgeon with a scalpel for false values. That's how he saw himself. Mm. Which, like, I'm not going to argue with that for the time. I wouldn't trust him with a scalpel, but... (laughs) It's a little... It's... it's, it's, He's that fine line, as are many of the people we talk about on the show, but between... You are amazing. You've revolutionized revolutionized everything as far yeah. as not even just comedy, like freedom of speech, but also let's not get into God complex situations here. Yeah. And you did some bad stuff. Not to say that you can't do bad stuff and and still you know be a good person, but accurate. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it, things aren't going. Wait, but the, Go ahead. sorry, this is sorry. This this is an autobiography. So mm-hmm. he 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 wrote that in the autobiography. I would love to read that. I almost to hear what ordered he it, about. but I didn't have time to read it prior mm-hmm. to this episode. I really wanted to, but add it to our lists of pop culture things we need. To <laughs> it's on the <laughs> we list. We need to subscribe to now that we're doing all these. Um. As to be expected, I mean, things aren't getting better for Lenny at this point. He was already on kind of a downward spiral. He filed a lawsuit in San Francisco to keep him out of prison because he officially declared himself bankrupt, or at that time they called them poppers, which is so archaic. But he officially declared himself a pauper. Wait, what are poppers? Really poor. Being bankrupt? No money, yeah. At this time, he was also, we knew he was banned from England already, but he also is banned from Scotland, and he's almost banned from Australia. Not quite, not quite, but almost banned from Australia. Banned from the the country that uses the C word in a yeah. friendly manner? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, in 1966, he gives his last performance at the Fillmore Auditorium in San Francisco, and shortly after, he passes away of an overdose from morphine. Uh, He was found on his bathroom floor, and on the same day, he had received a foreclosure notice on his home, and he he had also been using heroin and meth regularly at this point. Oh, my gosh. Just, yeah, a bad combo, but... They actually figured out that it was not a suicide. Um, he had a kettle of water boiling in the kitchen still. The electric typewriter was on when they found him. And he had typed, he'd stopped typing mid-word on the typewriter. And the sentence was, conspiracy to interfere with the Fourth Amendment, const, and then it ends. What? So what did it constitute? Like, what are we talking about here? That's one of the most talked about things with him, because it's like, what was he trying to say? Oh, I have so many questions. Yeah, and we don't really know. I mean, obviously, he overdosed, like, he was an addict, but it doesn't look like it was intentional. He stopped mid, because he didn't pass away at At his typewriter. typewriter. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so sad that... I, I mean, uh, uh, we don't know. I'm I'm theorizing here. It was either like he had al- already taken too much or he, this is even sadder, that he had to stop mid-word to consume more drugs. Oh, no. Yeah. So at this point, he had not served any time for his previous conviction from Cafe Elgogo, if you recall that one. Um but it was still really getting him down. I mean, he was just so upset that he was being charged over and over again by authorities. 
But he was survived by his daughter, Kitty, who ended up creating a foundation for drug treatment and rehab for people. Kitty. (laughs) Wow. Good job, Kitty. Yeah. And after this, after his death, police stopped prosecuting comedians for obscene language. And it really was a huge shift in comedy clubs becoming the greatest free speech zone. Like, you know, Lenny kind of took the brunt of all of this. And after he died, people were kind of like, wait this shouldn't have happened. Like we kind of drove him to do this in a way. Uh, one of the prosecutors in New York where he was charged a lot of the time. And one of the prosecutors on his trial said, we drove him into poverty and bankruptcy and then murdered him. I watched him gradually fall apart. It's the only thing I did in Hogan's office that I'm really ashamed of. We all knew what we were doing and we used the law to kill him. So like people took responsibility for his downfall, knowing that, you know, because he was getting arrested so much, because he had police at all of his shows, that kind of just drove him to use drugs more. And Talk about someone who was in the wrong place at the wrong time at, at a high 100%. level, because obviously he was ahead of his time, but he was also kind of in that weird cusp between the 50s, 60s, 70s, where yep. people do, were against everything, but then, you know, things changed so much at that time and it was like law enforcement's still gonna keep doing their jobs but oh man wow how crazy is that 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 someone takes like responsibility to an effect with that that just shows how big his impact was even at the time that someone would actually you know a guy a prosecutor like prosecutors are pretty important people and for him to admit like hey we straight up murdered him like he used the word murdered So that just kind of changed the whole landscape. And in 2003, 40 years after his conviction that the prosecutor was referring to, the New York governor at the time, George Pataki, said that they were going to pardon him for Mm. his conviction because they realized that they needed to uphold the right to free speech and that that conviction on the record was not a way to do that. And Robin Williams was actually one of the comics and people that pushed for this pardon to happen for the sake of all comedians, because a lot of people felt like if this didn't happen, then they couldn't exist in the comedy world, you know, knowing that it was still on the record and it was still a thing that happened in the past that they could be, you know, Mm. charged for or convicted of or whatever. So Robin Williams pushed for that and then they officially pardoned him in 2003 And then in 2004, he was named number three on Comedy Central's list of greatest stand-ups of all time. And it just kind of, he was one of those people that became more famous after his death, Mm -hmm. oddly enough, even though he was successful and, you know, he had a cult-like following and whatnot, he, he passed away and then it was like the light bulb went on for people and they realized, whoa, actually he was a really important person in our lives. Wow. And now the question is, Kate, Really hard one, I think, on this one. But was Lenny Bruce the worst? Uh, yeah, I, is it, no. I mean, he did he did a lot of bad things, but also when when I when you mentioned the uh, the guy who said that he murdered him, like I totally get why he felt so guilty, but also clearly Lenny had a very bad drug problem he had a, an addiction problem yeah. and that's not necessarily that's not his fault either i mean it's, right that'll consume anyone so a lot of demons but heck if, if robin williams 
I know. Sovereign. There's no way Lenny Bruce is the worst. Not a not a chance. Not a oh, chance. What a and, crazy story. What a crazy life. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's no secret that like he changed the entire landscape of free speech and obscenity. Like, I mean, we talked about it, but after he died, people were like, Oh, wait. Oops. <laughs> Comedians should be able to joke about things and talk about the issues and touch on these hot button things that people are thinking about but don't necessarily say out loud like if they don't then who will Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like the political satire stuff and i mean all of it goes into free speech and you know the the sad part to me is the fact that he was arrested in the first place for these things where now you go on twitter and every other person (laughs) is a making fun of politics (laughs) jess we would have been arrested so long ago Thank you. So thank many you. times. Thank you, Lenny Bruce, for making sure that <laughs> Jess and I do not get arrested for the things that we say. Appreciate you for that. But yeah, I just think it's wild. Like, that was his biggest pain point. He wasn't getting arrested for drugs. He wasn't getting arrested for murder or assault or any of these other things. He was literally getting arrested for obscenity. Like, uh, c- every- cops were waiting in comedy bars for him to say yeah. something. That... Uh- Wow. Yeah. And shout out to Kitty, man. Like, she sounds amazing. I, I want to check her out after all of this. I do too. But in summary, I think Lenny, it's no secret, as I have said a million times throughout this episode, but so many comedians cite him as a reference and an influence and an inspiration. And he really did pave the way for them. I mean, the dirtiest comedians you can think of would not be able to perform without Lenny. Mm-hmm. So really fascinating i can't wait to cover more comedians on the show and then it'll all tie back to this episode (laughs) they're interesting cats but as always these are our opinions of lenny if you have differing opinions please let us know if you have different facts if you have different stories about him if you know a comedian that was inspired by lenny let us know at podcasts at designpickle.com yeah lots of hot takes in this episode Um, lots of hot takes (laughs) (laughs) and while while you're emailing us with all of the things that we said wrong uh why don't you also just you know follow this podcast subscribe send us us a review that would be nice that would not be the worst that would yeah correct correct uh great episode that that was so much fun my mind is blown. I, I want to go rewatch Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I kind of have a crush on the actor who plays him, but it was more I because know. of the Lenny Bruce character. <laughs> uh, it's pretty great. Anyways, tune in next week to find out if we're actually going to cover someone that is the worst of all time. The woke, yeah. as some might call them. We'll see. <laughs> the woke? <laughs> the woke. Worst all of right. all time. Well, okay, we'll find the woke next time. <laughs> Bye! Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. If you like what you're hearing, or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com, and a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? <laughs>